the road to Acapulco is very hard indeed And it isn't any better if you haven't any weed Henry's driving hard straight on Tizzy Mountain Road Fifty people waiting back and Welcome to the Nice Guys Delivery Podcast. Nice Guys Delivery is your ultimate source for cannabis delivery in Marin County and parts of San Francisco. I'm Rob Bleetstein, and our guest today is legendary Grateful Dead Road crew member Steve Parrish, who also managed the Jerry Garcia Band and is now fronting his own cannabis line of products under the Big Steve label with Grizzly Peak. Welcome, Steve. Hey, Rob. How are you doing? We're doing great. Great, great to be here. You spent many, many years in Marin County um, with the dead. When did you make the move here? Well, in the summer of 68, I came to San Francisco in June as soon as I could. And the dream of, you know, coming to the Haight-Ashbury was my thing. And I knew of the Grateful Dead. I knew all about it. I lived at 70 Brady Alley. Brady Alley was a magic place. I had no idea, you know, about it. But around the corner was the Carousel Ballroom that summer. And then across the street was PHR, Recording Studio. So uh, one day I went downstairs and was smoking a joint on the street and I saw a guy unloading a truck. That was a momentous moment of destiny. It was Ramrod and he was struggling with a base cabinet. I didn't even know what a base cabinet was. I helped him carry it in and that started my friendship with the Grateful Dead. And then. I would help Ramrod move everybody, so I got to know the guys in the band. When you move people's stuff, you get to know them, you know. So then I was just getting in nice, getting to learn. It was a big scene, and everybody was starting to uh, talk about Marin County a lot, you know. So uh, I got taken to Marin County, and I met this guy whose name I'm not going to say right now, but he ended up giving me something that I took back east to make some quick money, I thought. It would be real fast, you know. And, of course, uh, I made the classic mistake of selling something to a, a police officer. And so I got sent to Rikers Island and a big felony, a large felony. And so it took me, lucky enough, my father was able to pay the uh, judge off, you know, and I would have been just getting out of prison now, I think, man. But anyway, it was a lot of LSD. And the thing about it was, was that I had to get a job, you know, I thought, for probation. And so I ended up working in the theaters in New York because I, I was so big, and I went down there. And so I started doing that, and the band was coming in, so I got to see them all the time and renew the friendship. And then as soon as I got off, July 11th was a gig at the Pavilion in New York, right? And that night, I was with the guys. We were all hanging out doing nitrous. Uh, we had a little E-tank. And the next morning, I was going before the judge for the, for the uh, final thing, so I was really worried. But it was a bonding moment, and they invited me. He said, if you get, you're going to get off, it's going to be okay. And sure enough, thanks to my father, it was. And so I went right to Marin County by that time. When did you first uh, experience Cincinnati here in California? Oh, that didn't come until later in the 70s. Bob Matthews hired me to work at Alembic in San Francisco, and... We were there one day, and Jerry would come by every day and smoke pot with us, you know. We got started smoking great weeds, man. Ice bag was one of the first ones that we loved. And that was Mexican weed was all this weed that came up, and it was grown 
by Indians that literally went up in the mountains and grew fields of pot, you know. And we knew the weed by every place in Mexico. I learned every location, Guerrero and Sinaloa and Acapulco and Lake Chapala, because everywhere in the locality where the weed was picked up at, and our friends were going down there and getting it and bringing it back, you know, and it was a much more unsophisticated world for moving pot around. It wasn't a big deal. At that point, we only smoked Mexican weed, and Howard Wales was the dealer. And Howard Wales was the guy, uh, even to this day, he'd probably be pissed at me saying this, but he started what was called a lid, and, and he, we would hang out with him all the time. And he had the best connection for this beautiful uh, orange seed cap, lime green uh, Mexican weed that was so strong, it was psychedelic, you know. And this bullshit about weed was so much stronger now, it's not true. I'd love to have the strains that we had that were pure and incredibly strong because they were kept that way. We were, meanwhile, loving this pot. And in the Haight-Ashbury, Howard started putting it into Prince Edward tobacco cans. And that's where the term lid came from. A lot of people thought a lid was a liter of weed or something. It wasn't. It was. I thought so myself till I found out. Interesting to hear about your your stint in Rikers Island and your and your um brush with the law there in your youth. So well, fast forwarding a little to the seventies, maybe um okay. with, with with decades of cannabis being underground and you guys in the dead being pretty high profile believers. What was it like here in Marin County in the seventies with people's attitudes towards cannabis? And were you guys like? Did you feel like you had to always be on okay. the on the down low and hiding out? Or well, I'll tell you. So now it's 1969 and uh, the end of the year, and we're living with Weir, myself, Jackson, Sonny Hurd. These were other crew guys, and Ramrod was living at Mickey's Ranch at the time. He had been living with Owsley, and I stayed there with him a lot. And then we that was over in Oakland, and then. In Marin, Weir had this place in Nicasio, and that's when we were dug into the Marin scene there. He rented the place, and he let the crew, he let us live in the barn. There was like these bunk beds, and we had horses and goats and all this other stuff. So, of course, what we did was, all weed was seeded, to answer your question. All weed was seeded. Mexican weed was heavily seeded, and we loved it. Jerry loved seeded weed, man, because you got, with every ounce or whatever, you got a lot of seeds, you know, because that's what the plant is made to do. Now, the seeds were golden because when the time came, when the government stopped, the Operation Intercept came in in 1971 and stopped the Mexican flow of weed. Nixon went nuts about weed. And that's when he made it a Schedule One narcotic to punish our generation for smoking it. He, didn't, he knew we weren't voting for him, so he didn't give a, a hang. And so even in Marin County, you felt the heat. Now, Neil Cassidy had written a book called The First Third, and Ramrod handed that to me as soon as I started hanging around the band. He said, read this. And the first third was what you had to serve in California for your sentencing in those days. So in other words, if you got eight years, which he got, you had to serve at least three or something like that, or, or under three, slightly under three. Well, he was caught in 1958 in North Beach with two roaches and a joint. 
And so he got eight years in San Quentin. And so that's how serious they were about weed here. And the first time anyone in the Grateful Dead, I mean, there were lots of busts that happened to the Grateful Dead. But in Marin County, the first bust was Kreutzmann with uh, 10 plants at this house that he rented. And the landlord came over in the afternoon and saw the hose going out to this garden in the back. And he had to do 10 days in Marin County Jail for each day for a plant, you know. And they were, that was your local law stepping in. But cultivation was a big crime. But we saved our seeds because we knew you could grow great pot from the seeds. It was really intense uh, period of time where now Colombian weed took over for Mexican weed. And the Colombian weed started pouring in to California and everywhere. And it was strong and it was good. The Santa Marta Gold, the Chibo Chibo, the Chocolate, Colombian weed was very, very potent and directly related to African weed. It had come there with, with all weed came with the slaves to the New World. And it was cultivated by Washington and Jefferson and everybody for different reasons. For medicine, they learned about it, you know. Now, it goes way back with mankind in every sense and form. So in the Grateful Dead, it was the most wonderful thing if you were a pothead because we had lots of pot around. And Jerry would buy pot and just give you pot. You know, the first Thai weed we ever got, we were rehearsing out at Point Reyes Station in Marin. And we moved around a lot before we got Front Street. And we had other work. We always had a rehearsal hall. So we were rehearsing out at the West Marin Lions Hall in Point Reyes. And a friend of ours, Sammy, brought this bag of loose. Tie stick wasn't on a stick at the time. It was loose, and it was strong. And Jerry bought a pound of it, and he, uh, he gave me and Ramrod were there with him, and he just gave us, you know, a big scoop each, almost a quarter pound of, of this thing. And he was always like that, sharing the weed. And in the Garcia band, it was intensely, we smoked a lot before going on, hanging out in the clubs, you know. So we were then making all these inroads to every single person that was in the pot world, that we knew them. And it became a network because we traveled all over the country and the world. We could score weed everywhere we went. You know, we, we had to have it. We weren't gonna go on the road and not have pot. You were on the road a lot, but when you were here in Marin County, like in the 70s, did you feel like you guys had a, maybe, was there a target on your back? I mean, you guys had the office and, you know, Front well, Street Well, everybody knew us. It was a small place. San Rafael was not as big as it is even. You know, it was like a village. And so everybody knew us, uh, it seemed like. And the sheriffs, we knew the sheriffs. Now, there was a guy in Marin County, and he lived out in Stinson Beach, and his name was Colonel White. And you could look this guy up, but he was Harry Anslinger's right-hand man. Now, in 1937, when alcohol became legal in 1933 with Roosevelt, and when they went off prohibition, this insane country actually kept alcohol from people, which caused nothing but crime. And people wanted it, and they got it. So then when they got off alcohol and became legal again, they decided to go after pot. The Bureau of Narcotics was formed with Harry Anslinger. And so his right-hand guy was Colonel White. Now, as the years progressed and then the war came, they did the most insane things. And every time they do an experiment about pot, 
it turned out that it was okay. They never found real negative stuff. It didn't make you violent. They tried to link it to violence a lot. Then Gene Krupa got busted at the Golden Gate Theater in San Francisco for a couple of joints and roaches. I mean, that's all. It was a big deal. He went away for three years, you know, and he, he lost his career, and they made a big deal about that. Anslinger's thing was to link up showbiz and musicians and actors with cannabis use, you know, and so he didn't like the black jazz musicians. He didn't like the uh, blues players and anybody who was using cannabis in those days. So it was made a big no-no and spread around. Then when it was discovered by the generation in the 60s, by the college kids and the hippies, wow, man, it was so cool to have this thing. And Marin County became a center for pot dealers hanging out here because of the Grateful Dead. And we became that most famous band because we were not afraid to go anywhere. When we walked into a place, we lit up. So we began to learn about growing pot, and we all moved out to Stinson Beach. And Mountain Girl was really into it, and she was teaching me and everybody how to grow. I learned from her book, Primo Plants. Well, before that, she wrote this book called Top Pop Pot and gave me a, you know, a copy, a galley's copy of it, stapled on, which I got somewhere in my stuff. But Colonel White lived in Stinson Beach, and he couldn't stand that we were smoking weed in Stinson Beach, Marin County. So, for instance, this is what would happen. There was no police in Stinson. It was unincorporated. So the sheriff would come by once in a while. Now, we knew the sheriffs in Marin County because they tipped us off when raids were coming to Olam Poly and other places. So we knew the deputies, and they were friendly to us. Like, I can remember a day where a kid and I were sitting on his deck and lighting up a big, fat joint, and we were smoking it, and we got our feet up on the rail. We're sitting back in the sunshine, and here comes the red Jeep. And when you saw the red Jeep, you know, oh, shit, here's Colonel White. And he wore a beret, and he was shaved head, and he was a bulky kind of guy and looked a bit like Alfred Hitchcock type. But anyway, he pulled up. And he carried a 45 all the time, and he threw down on you, and he said, stop, you guys are smoking marijuana. And his wife, his wife, he had brought back from World War II when he went over and worked for the OSS for a while. And she was a guard at Buchenwald, and she was worse than him. And the two of them, he'd jump out and hold us at, un, at gunpoint, and we'd still be smoking the joint, not putting it out, you know. And laughing a little bit, and he'd get so angry, and she would go and call the sheriff. And then we always knew the deputies that came out to Stinson, we knew them. So they'd come out, and they'd first say to him, okay, Colonel, put the gun back, holster that thing. And they were like that, and we'll take care of this. And then they'd get rid of him, they'd get him to leave, and then they'd start laughing with us. And you guys are going to get killed, you know, smoking a joint here. Is it worth it? But... They didn't care, really, you know. If they knew you and you were a good old boy and they liked you, they didn't care. The trouble began when, seriously, it was a free-for-all until they started these wars on drugs. When did you guys move into Front Street? Your time there was probably pretty hassle-free, I would imagine. Yeah, well, we had, the police knew us real well in San Rafael, and that place was our sanctuary, and they, they respected it, you know. 
and they were friendly to us also. They still harassed us in some ways on, on our motorcycles if we pulled out in that area, but it was a friendly place. And Shakedown Street was like that, where we, what we called Front Street, because there was more important things going on. You see, a lot of people don't know, but when the government shut down the Mexican weed and it went to Colombia, man, they hooked us all on beautiful Colombian weed, and it was great but it was very heavily seeded. And then all of a sudden, our friends who went to Colombia to bring back these treasures were being told that in the heart of each pound, you'd find another package, and that was white powder. And cocaine hit everywhere. And that changed it. And they started doing that where you had to take cocaine in the loads. And so what did you do with all this cocaine? They started pushing it around, you know? And so, Cocaine changed the vibration level in Marin and everywhere in the country at that time. You talk a lot about the Mexican and Colombian um, marijuana. What about um, when the California Sensimilia started really taking, taking hold? Well, the reason was that the old growers were still around, our, our friends who knew the Mexican growers. So they told us about Sensimilla. And that means no seeds, you know. And it can be by depriving and pulling out the males in early August. You can't wait until after the 15th of August because then your plants will get fertilized. So you pull the males and you have to be really knowledgeable to learn what they look like. They're very tricky, but they're very different too if, once you learn. And so once that was found out that you started pulling, see, because we grew everything from seeds. Cloning was not developed like it is now. So you get a handful of seeds, you put them in. Every seed, Rob, is a combination of a thousand different ways, you see? So you could get seeds and from a great pot from, let's say, Mexico or Colombia, and you'd plant them, and, it, it, you know, we are in the 38th parallel here in Northern California, and that's the same as the Hindu Kush in Afghanistan. So we can grow indica really well here. But what was around was all sativa from Mexico, you see, because that was grown near the equator. And in Colombia, it was grown farther south. And so that weed, the seeds would grow here, but they made these spindly sativa plants that didn't have the juicy, beefy buds and the strong skunkiness of the original indica plants, you know. And so... Every time you'd grow up seed, you didn't know what you were going to get. And then you'd get these throwback plants that were so powerfully strong. I mean, sticky, like you could take the buds and stick them on the wall, man. <laughs> and, you know, I don't see those. What happened was, at the same time, police started cracking down on California grows in the homegrown because we realized they were, they were making a ring around the United States. You couldn't get weed brought in anymore. They were stopping Thai weed. They were stopping Columbia weed. They went on a jihad against pot. And they wanted to eliminate it, eradicate it, and it was too popular. So Vietnam was raging too, and those guys were bringing back a lot of Thai weed and Vietnamese weed, which really Thai weed is Vietnamese weed. And the Vietnamese have a, everywhere around that part of the world, and most parts of the world, they have huge cannabis cultures. So when I talk about the 38th parallel, we had people, friends of ours, that knew Kandahar in those days for different reasons because they were drug centers for opium, which was all grown in 
Afghanistan, and great hash, too. Did you ever imagine cannabis would be legal in your lifetime? Well, yes. We always believed it would be, you know, because when Timothy Leary was a guru to all of us, he was talking about, in a few years, we're going to have a pot-smoking Supreme Court and an LSD president. And so we <laughs> believed all that. Then it got worse and worse. You know, the draconian laws were put in, and, and it got terrible. And so we started to wonder, what happened was in 1974, we're all at Winterland, and this company called Amorphia was a paper company that made very thin paper. Out of hemp paper, it was, actually. And they uh, funded a petition to make pot totally legal in California. 100% legal, no restrictions. You could grow as much as you wanted. You could do whatever you want. You could possess it. You could have it. And it just barely failed. So this Amorphia paper company, they had this whole program to make pot legal. And we didn't fucking vote. And we all looked at each other and go, wait a minute, what idiots. We would have made pot, pot legal. So from that moment on, the dream was strong in my heart. But then to get it back on the ballot took years and years. And then we were all into it because we realized by that time that if we didn't vote, we were fools. And so cannabis and politics are linked very strongly. And now for it to be legal is the greatest thing ever, man. And, you know, a lot of people, last year I was on tour, uh, in 2019, I was on tour with the Dead and Company in 2018. And people came to us everywhere we went talking about, you guys need to have pot, you guys need to do this. Well, for the Grateful Dead to do it was more complicated, and it's ended up being more complicated. So I just said, hey, guys, I found this company. They came to me, and they said, Steve, you're a guru of pot, man, because you've been there smoking it. It was the crew that always had the weed. It was us that smoked it uh, because we knew all those guys, you know, and we were the conduit to the band for it. And so we became an icon of marijuana smokers because we smoked all day long. We put up the wall of sound. I always tell people, don't you tell me that pot makes you weak or uh, lazy. Four of us who smoke weed all day long put that up every day, man, and took it down all night. And so I could argue with anybody about that. And the creativity levels that we had around the Grateful Dead, I mean, because of the psychedelia, and now remember this, Cannabis is a psychedelic drug. It is very similar to every other psychedelic. You have uh, things in there that take you, as Alzi would say, to the eighth bardo, which is exactly where acid took you. And people can get really high when they eat the hashish of those days or would eat pot. It was a whole other thing than smoking it. It's very strong. Even if you're a well-smoked person, you can get so high, it's psychedelic. It's a trip, you know? So tell us about Grizzly Pete. Grizzly Pete came to me on that tour and asked me uh, would I try their product, and, and I tried it and liked it. And I, don't, I didn't like indoor weed because I was always an outdoor grower, you know. And most indoor weed that I had ever smoked was chemically feeling to me, and didn't, the high didn't last very long, and it wasn't right, you know. Because when you take plant like cannabis, okay, and you grow it in an apartment or in a room, in a locked out from, from nature, 
the plant is so sensitive, it becomes a different high. It becomes a different thing. And it doesn't like to be hid. It doesn't, it gets paranoid just like you do, you know. And so when you grew plants outside in the sunshine, as we'd seen them in patches where we'd go inside a place and have a whole patch of it, it was fucking incredible out there. When I worked for Quicksilver, they wrote songs about it, you know. Uh, because the sunshine of California was perfect growing place, you know, you had a greenhouse here. But the law made it go underground like that. So when I met Grizzly Peak, I tried their weed, I said, wait a minute, this is different. So I began to get friendly with Dave Gash, who's the guy who started it, you know, and got into it. And they had been trying and trying and working first to get their product right. And they did a great job. When I went over and saw their operation, it was all organic. It was all done in a way as close as you could make it to be an outdoor weed. And it had conquered all the old problems I had with indoor. It, it lasts longer. It lasts just like any outdoor weed. And um, the taste and quality of it were just as high as outdoor weed that was cared for properly. So I became a fan of theirs and started realizing this works. And so they liked me in every way and asked me to be the brand ambassador. And it's now been taking off for a while. We've done a lot of work on getting our name out there. And people like Mr. Nice Guy, delivery service, friends of mine, deadheads, came to me and said, Steve, we want to sell your weed, man. We'll, we'll take it on. So they've been great friends and customers. And it's all that same thing of networking on a great thing. Great. Um, you, you also had spoken so much about papers. Um, the pre-rolls, what kind of papers are you guys using? As the raw a... papers, you know, the very high-quality raw papers. Papers are really important. You don't, you know, even now, I just noticed after all these years, ZigZag is making a total organic hemp-based paper. Like club papers, I don't know if they're still around. They were perfect. They're very light, and, you know, when you burn them, there's no ash. Exactly. And you can feel it. I've tried it over years. You know, knowing that we started with only zigzags to smoke, uh, you always get this residue in your lungs. You know, you could feel it. And it, was, it didn't feel right. Well, you would taste it, too. If you roll a joint and zigzag, you don't really taste your pot. So as soon as we could, we started buying cases of, of Shauna Claire's and using those. And then we went to clubs when they came next. Yeah. You know, there were matches first, right? And when you lit a match to a joint, Owsley would go crazy. He loved it. He said, you're doing the right thing. You're putting fire to cannabis leaf. Now, we called it marijuana, which I always said is Mary Jane is what it was. And it was the Mexican slang term that the cops gave it to it, you know, but it, it stuck. And Mary Jane is what they called it. He always said, you're putting heat to it and you're now making it come alive and it become something. When you smoke a joint that you lit with a match, you're hitting the exact right combustion level to burn the cannabis and not hurt your lungs one frickin' bit. Never in my entire experience of being around heavy, heavy pot smokers in Jamaica, Rasta guys and all that, they don't get lung problems unless they smoke tobacco. Tobacco is the problem. It's acidic and it doesn't break down in your body like cannabis does. 
We've been blessed with legalization here in California and Oregon and Washington. A lot of those states starting to come along, not only medical at first, then recreational. Um, And I asked you earlier if you would envision this earlier in your lifetime. You said yes. So do you envision um, national legalization in this country? Oh, yeah. I think the shift has begun for that because... You know, you and I both are connected with Sirius Radio, and we have our shows there, and people, because I freely talk about cannabis, and people write to me from all over the country, they are so anxious to see cannabis legal in every town. And so the tipping, the scale is finally tipped, because the problem has always been to get it off of Schedule 1. Schedule 1 makes it the worst, worthless narcotic in the planet. Totally wrong. Once that changes, which right now there are plans for next year, bipartisan plans to take it off Schedule 1. Once that happens, it'll blossom everywhere. Because right now you can't interstate ship it. You can't sell it anywhere but in your legal state. And this is the same way that legalization comes to everything that's prohibited. I'm sure there's people all over the country that would love to have some Big Steve, and I know that... uh down here, I'd love to try some of Jim Belushi's um, Afghani that he's growing from his uh, yeah. from Captain Jack. You know, there's, yeah. it's all yeah. So the interstate. It's only going to get better and better great. now. You know, as people start learning and refining it, because we never were allowed to experiment on it either. Now imagine there's thousands and thousands of cannabinoids in these things, not just THC and CBD and CB. Uh, and THCV. And now there's thousands of things that they don't even have any idea what they do. It is the gift of all gifts for medicine, man. We have kept it away from us for silly reasons. Now, Mr. Nice Guy, you don't even have to leave your house, man. They'll come to you in Marin County now and bring it to you. You know what a dream that is? We had to go out and find it for one thing, and then you had to wait to score it, and then you had to pay, and oh, man, it was complicated. You still got to pay. Does that surprise you that Marin County, um, right at the moment, only only allows delivery, does not allow I can't stand it, to tell you the truth. It blows my mind why Marin County will not allow dispensaries. I don't understand it. Because I, I think they're trying to play some game, that they're a bedroom community with people and decency i hate that stuff because it's it's the most benign drug you could have and it protects your society from the bad stuff it's not a gateway drug it's a protector drug i think that the wall might be coming down i hear sausalito might be making some progress they had one in sausalito for a while and our friend lynette has had one in fairfax Fairfax. forever she's actually the first person in california to get one a medical dispensary license but she's been harassed by the feds. Yeah. She's been harassed by the federals. She almost lost her life a couple of times. It was so bad. But they are ridiculous here. Yeah, I mean, up in Sonoma it, County, we have them, you know. If you go to Oakland, there's all over the place. Grizzly Peak, because of me working on it and our other people, we're in 109 dispensaries in California. And so you can get it everywhere in California. And we have an operation in San Diego and one in Oakland. And we are kept alive by great friends like Nice Guy Delivery Service and all other delivery services. But places like this, the thing is that people have to even relax with the legalization stuff and take off some of these regulations they put on it. they got to lower the taxes. The taxes. they got to make, because the whole thing about cannabis is it should be easily got by people. It's just a people's drug, man, and it works. 
The reason slaves used it was because they didn't get a hangover and they were able to work the next morning. If they were drunk on rum and they tried to work, they got a headache, they didn't work so good, they got beat. Well, we can't get Al Capoco gold, but Steve, you're a gold mine of cannabis information here. It's been great talking to you. I'll fix you up with some. I, I know oh, where we you. can get some. We're going to have to take them. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to have to go to the airport right now. Hurry. <laughs> All right. Well, 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 this was good talking yeah. to you, and I thank you for doing this, you know, because the more we get the word out about cannabis is going to be better for everybody. Knowledge is power. So thank you, Rob. Appreciate it. Our pleasure to have you, man. You're, like I said, you're a wealth of knowledge, and not only your experience, not only with the dead and show business and rock and roll, but your cannabis knowledge and history is just incredible. So thank you again for joining us, everybody. Um, check us out at NiceGuysDelivery.com. It's the Nice Guys Delivery Podcast, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you again, Steve Parrish. <laughs>